Live Creative Now, episode 133. Welcome to Live Creative Now with Melissa Dinwiddie, a weekly podcast to inspire you to create your art and share your work, because that's how you will change the world. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, passion pluralite artist, happiness catalyst, and creativity instigator, and author of The Creative Sandbox Way, which you can find at an Amazon near you. Here to address all your questions about living a full-color creative life. Whether you think of yourself as not artistic, not creative, which is a lie. Or you think of yourself as an artist of any kind or anything in between, no matter how you define yourself, feeding your creative hungers makes you feel more alive. It's how you change your life and it's how you change the world because that is how it works. Change your life and the world changes. It is a guest conversation today. Today's guest is Angela Ferrari, who is an artist, a children's book author illustrator who is based in Portland, Maine, not Portland, Oregon, but Portland, Maine, on the other side of the country from me. And Angela is also the creator and host of her own podcast recently launched called Story Spectacular, which is a children's podcast, which she talks about in our conversation. She shared her story in our conversation of developing a successful art business and balancing creating for joy versus creating for clients, because they're two different things, and why she decided to expand her creative endeavors into writing and illustrating children's books when she had a very successful business as a painter. And then from there, why she also decided to expand into podcasting. We talked about a whole bunch of other stuff as well, which you will hear. But let me tell you a little bit about Angela. She grew up in the mountains of Western Maine and living in a rural setting, she developed a talent for finding creative ways to play and to captivate her imagination. She graduated with a BA in studio art from the University of Maine. And after that, she moved to Portland, Maine, and she was accepted into a program called Assets for artist, Artists, which focused on business finance for creative entrepreneurs. And this is great because when she went to art school, she didn't get any information on how to make a living as an artist. So after she completed the, the training in this Assets for Artists program, she received matching grant funds for working capital, and she went on to become a successful artist specializing in acrylic on canvas painting landscapes that capture the picturesque aspects of Maine. And she's then gone on to expand her artistic endeavors 
writing and illustrating three children's books in a single year, Digger's Daily Routine, an extraordinary book, and What Do You See? And most recently, she has launched her podcast, Story Spectacular, which is a children's story podcast, which features original stories and classic retellings. And working with kids and parents, Angela discovered that oftentimes children weren't getting enough time for free play. And so her mission is really to help foster the imagination by sharing creative stories. So Story Spectacular is a twice weekly children's story podcast featuring original stories and classic retellings that you can take along anywhere. So that's a little bit about Angela. Have a listen to our conversation and let me know what you think. Leave a comment over at livecreativenow.com slash 133. Listen and enjoy. So you're an artist. And is that something that you always knew that you wanted to do to be an artist? I've always been someone that I need to be doing something with my hands all the time. I'm always making something. Um, Sometimes it was productive and sometimes it was just, you know, staying busy. So all the way up through high school and in college, I was hanging out with the art kids making something. And I eventually graduated with a degree in studio art and then pursued painting after college. So you pursued painting after college. So you mm-hmm. you went to art school. And I know you mentioned in when you filled out, uh, I have a questionnaire for people who are on the podcast. Yes. And you said that you went to art school and you learned about the craft of making art, but not about how to make a living. And that's something I hear from artists who, who went to art school over and mm-hmm. over and over again, that yeah. art schools teach about the craft of making art, but not about how to make a living. So here you are, you've gone to art school. Did, and by the way, did you have a good experience at art school? What, what was your experience with it? Did you love it? Did you hate it? I did. I had a, I had a really fun experience because I got to try out so many different kinds of making art. I experienced um, printmaking, like very traditional old methods of making art, and then video installation, multiples, performance art. So I definitely did the whole gamut of like, let's try this hat on. Let's let's see how this one feels. And then as far as not really learning about how to make a living, I, I blame myself in a lot of ways because I wasn't really seeking out those kind of career resources. I didn't know what was going to be out there after college. I was kind of just making art for art's sake and not really thinking about my future so much, which college should be a little more about that. But I was kind of a lot more in the moment and playing a lot more. It's so interesting because that's actually exactly my experience in Mm -hmm. college. I did not go to art school, though. Well, I'm going to revise that. I, I was just hosting my annual Create and Incubate retreat a week ago. And there were eight of us around the table. And I asked who around the table went to art school, thinking I didn't go to art school. And there were, I can't remember how many people of the eight of us said they went to art school. And my best friend raised her hand. My best friend is an actress, an actor. Mm -hmm. She went to the Denver Theater Center and got a master's degree. 
And all of a sudden I realized, oh my God, of course, she went to art school in performing arts. Right. I went right. to art school. I went to Juilliard, Juilliard in the dance division for a year, but I never made that connection mm-hmm. as, you know, art school. Anyway, back to what you were saying about, I feel like it's the responsibility of of college to teach kids a little bit about, you know, their fu- taking care of their future, right? Right. And that you were playing and exploring. That's really the approach that I took getting mm-hmm. my bachelor's degree in social science. <laughs> I didn't think at all about what I was going to do I know. after I got out of college. And and nothing in my in my institution prepared me for that at all. They didn't say, you know, we're going to talk to you about how you're going to make a living. We're going to ask you questions about what you're going to do to support yourself right <laughs> after you get out so it's not just art schools right it's so, it's definitely one of those things too i think it can be a little bit of the age that maybe maybe i wasn't willing to hear a lot of that kind of advice too i wasn't receptive to it i didn't know that i really needed it until you're experiencing it there's nothing that can replace ex- real world experience that's true I kind of I kind of feel a little bit better now to know that I'm not the only one. <laughs> I know I'm a lot older than you are too, so it's not just that I, I was in some weird bubble of t- and, and I and I went through college in the 80s, which was all the me generation, so I was kind of an oddball going <laughs> at that time when everyone was like, get a degree in business and economics, yeah. so I can get a you know good job or and I make a lot of money, so. Anyway, so you you go through art school and and you get out there and realize, oh shoot, how am I going to make a living? So I started by I moved to Portland, Maine, which is an awesome place to be. A lot of like food scene, uh, really great restaurants, um, craft beer industry, and it's just a su- really supportive community for artists. So I started painting and hanging up my paintings around coffee shops, and then I forged a relationship with some restaurateurs my paintings kind of fit in with their brand and they let me hang in their restaurant exclusively. It was like my exclusive gallery. So for the past eight years, I've sold hundreds of paintings just out of that one spot, which has been really? amazing. Yeah. Wow. It's so been tell really me, cool. Tell me about your paintings. What is it about your paintings that work with the brand of that restaurant? So the restaurant that I'm at, um, they're American comfort, very casual dining. And my paintings are, I think about my parents. I think about my grandparents when I paint. Like, I want to make something that makes people happy and that's really accessible and approachable. So that's kind of what my paintings are. They're very regional. Uh, they depict nautical scenes of Portland, Maine. So local lighthouses, um, uh, lobster buoys, sailboats. But I do them with a lot of really bright neon colors. Some of them even glow in the dark. So there, that, there's a little bit of a twist on it. But I find that um, all kinds of different people can respond to those paintings and find something for them. So I'm, what I'm really curious about is the, the balance between painting to you know, feed your soul and mm-hmm. painting to please an audience. Because those can be two really different things. So how, it is. how did you navigate that? And how do you continue to navigate that? 
I definitely have to change up the subject matter, change. I definitely still am playing. I, I don't want to try to just keep repeating the same thing I've done over and over again. So there's definitely a lot of things that I'm doing for me in the process. But as far as like the subject matter, I have people in mind. It's not necessarily like, oh, I know this sells. I want to sell this. It's more that, oh, I know this one was a hit. This one was really fun for somebody. People are talking about this one. I've got a lot of feed positive feedback online when I show my work in progress. So this is something that, you know, my audience is responding really well to. So I'm going to kind of steer more in that direction. So that's kind of how I balance it. But, you know, honestly, it's I've been doing this for a while now. And that's why I kind of wanted to expand my artistic and creative endeavors into something else. So right now, I'm so happy to be able to make a living off painting. Um, that's, that's what I'm going to be doing for a while still until the podcast and the children's books take off full time. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of still in a balance with that as well. So it sounds like, and tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like the moving into the children's books and the podcast, which I want to talk about is partly a way to give you a new creative outlet for you to play in. Because if you were to just do the painting, that could be a way to get you into kind of a rut. Is yeah, that absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That's exactly what it is. It can be, I, I love it, but it can be a little limiting. There's so much more I have to say. And I found some other avenues to express that. Yeah. I think this is the challenge that, that creatives find ourselves in. Certainly the certainly what led to my own burnout as an artist mm -hmm. is you find something that you love to do. And if you get response for that thing, you're playing, you're exploring, you, yeah. you then you get you get positive feedback for that, that thing that you're playing and exploring in. And so the natural response is, Oh, wow, I'm getting positive feedback for this. So I'm going to do more of it. And oh, wow, the positive feedback is in part of the positive feedback is coming in in financial uh, mm -hmm. recompense, right? I'm getting paid for it. Maybe I can make a living from this, right? This is fantastic. But if we just follow the money, then we're no longer playing and exploring. And that's right, we're innovating. Exactly. And mm -hmm. that's, that's what feeds us as artists, we have to be in what I call the creative sandbox, we have to be playing mm -hmm. in the creative sandbox. Otherwise, we start getting malnourished, we start getting starved, and then we end up burning out. And then and the thing that attracted people to us in the first place was was the fact that we were glowing in that playful space of playing and exploring, right? So yeah. sounds like you figured out how to continue to play while giving the market what it was excited by. And, mm -hmm. and happy to pay you for brilliant. And you figured out how to continue to play and explore and feed your curiosity, and your need to continue to innovate by moving in these other directions at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And even on top of this, I still have another side creativity thing that I do just for fun. I take um, hip hop dancing classes a couple days a week. And it's just, I mean, I'm never going to be a hip hop dancer, but I just love getting to stop sitting down, get up, be around a bunch of people and just move and get to create expressively with motion. Brilliant. 
I mm-hmm. love it. This is this is exactly what I am preaching all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So I know that one of the things that you do is you write and tell children's stories. So I do. How did you get into that? It's something I always wanted to do. I have a big crazy Italian family and they all have really thick Maine accents and they get together and that's what they do. They tell stories, they laugh, and there's so much character and richness in their voices. As a kid, I would fall asleep just smiling, listening to these people, and I I loved it. It was something I always enjoyed. And then, um, you know, I've always kind of been dabbling in it, but I was intimidated by the process. I didn't know the first thing about how to do it. And so it took me a long time to to build up that confidence, uh, not just with the creating a children's book, but the business side of it. How do I approach it financially? And um, over the past couple of years, I've gotten a lot of insights from a few different resources that made me firm in my decision that, yes, I am going to pursue this and take this on as a new identity, which was hard being known for something for so long. And I was afraid of making people unhappy, losing that audience by pivoting. But now I'm really happy that I am because it is I'm glowing all over again. It's something that's like, yes, it's like a new kind of fuel and energy that that makes me really productive right now in this new endeavor. I'm so glad that (laughs) you're talking about this, because this is something that another thing that creatives deal with all the time. Mm -hmm. Once we start getting recognized for one thing, that becomes our like public identity. And whether your public is three people or three million people, it's really hard to let go of that identity, whether letting go means walk completely walking away from it, mm-hmm. or whether it means still doing that thing, but also doing something else. It's really, really hard. I mean, I know in my own life, I started doing calligraphy and that became my big passion. And I became mm-hmm. like, so wrapped up in, you know, that became such a huge part of my identity as a calligrapher. And so every piece of art that I made incorporated letters and words and calligraphy. And when I started making art that didn't incorporate letters, it felt like sacrilegious. Yeah. It's such it a- was your signature and it's hard to kind of, yeah, I, I totally understand that process. I've totally been through that too. Yeah. And it also, it feels like, and tell me if you, if this has been the same for you, I'm, it may be different. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But when you've put a lot of time and resources into developing and mastering skills, a skill mm-hmm. set, when you're not using that skill set in something that you're producing, it feels like, like, I don't know, like you are like, like it's some sacrilegious thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. I, right now, I'm really trying to look at everything like an evolution that this is leading me to this. I can incorporate little pieces of what I've learned along the way, but I'm never, I'm never feeling like I've fully arrived. Like there's definitely some milestones that I really want to hit, but at no point am I like, okay, I got it. I'm done. I learned everything there is to know about this. I'm definitely like incorporating 
so many things, even skills that I was really good at at my childhood, I'm now pulling them in. They've been on that. I, I remember hearing you talk about those things on the back burner of your stove yep. that are like ba- on the front burner now. So that's that's really cool. So sometimes it's like, no, you're not letting this thing go forever. There's going to be a new way, something maybe you can't even conceive of where you can take that and bring it bring it to the front burner. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was actually just having a conversation. I was at this conference just this just a couple days ago in Philadelphia, the Her- Heroic Public Speaking Live conference, and I was having a conversation with somebody there. And we were talking about people who are multi-passionate, who have lots of different interests, mm-hmm. I call them passion pluralites, and how <laughs> it's how this happens, you know, you have lots of different interests, and maybe you do one thing, and then you you stop doing that thing for a while, and you do something else, and no, as he put it, no skill is ever wasted. And he mm-hmm. talked about this idea of maybe you have ten glasses of water in front of you, and then you fill another glass of water. Guess what? That glass of water, a little bit of that water, is going to go to add to each of those other glasses. So the fact that I used to be a really serious dancer mm-hmm. informs every single thing that I do now. And the fact that I used to be a really serious calligrapher and spent years of my life working on mastering that skill informs everything that I do now. Mm-hmm. Every, th- every skill that you learn informs every other skill that you go on to learn. So there you go. <laughs> it's true, though. It really does in in small ways and in big ways. Yeah. So, so you have gone on to write and illustrate your own children's books. Mm-hmm. I have. So it started out. I approached things more as an illustrator, more with the visual, and uh, had a lot of ideas. But I was kind of on the fence of. Do I call myself a writer? Am I good enough to be a writer? Because even though I was okay at telling stories, I was always horrible at grammar in school. And I would usually, I'd defend myself by saying, oh, it's, you know, it's classist and language is always evolving. But really, I was just horrible at punctuation and spelling. And I joined a critique group of writers that really, I mean, they're just awesome. They're so good at the craft of writing and coming at it from that approach I've learned so much from them and they really showed me that, you know, people aren't going to be able to hear you when you have when you, they have a book in front of them. So you need to use that as another tool, as another way, another color that you can use to express yourself. And so I started instead of being closed minded, I started incorporating it in a positive way and asking for help when I need help instead of being closed minded and stubborn about it. And now I, it's part of my identity now. I am, I am a writer. So that's, that's something I'm comfortable with now. I love it. Fist mm-hmm. bump for that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking, gosh, you know, the, the grammar and the, the spelling and stuff, there's tools for that. You mm-hmm. can always hire a good editor and proofreader to help you with that stuff. That's right. That's insignificant. That's, that's easy. Get help with that. So who who do you especially love to create books for? Tell me about some of your books or one of your books. So, yeah, um, the first book that I published is called What Do You See? And it was a book. Uh, 
it's my homage to nature and the walks I used to take with my Nana as a kid. And that book came to me all in one chunk in the middle of the night. I woke up at like three in the morning and walked over to my computer and wrote it up and then looked at it the next day. And I was like, oh, this one's actually not bad. I might, I might work with this. So that one I kind of wrote for my Nana and for kids with their special person that they like to take walks with. It's all about all these patterns that you can find in nature, like a vein shape, something that you see, uh, trees that make branches, rivers that branch out into streams. So every page is that pattern showing up in another way in nature. Um, So that was something that meant a lot to me. And I wanted a book that was fun for little kids and for adults alike to play together. So that was the first book. And then a lot of my friends right now have kiddos and I spend a lot of time with them. They, they're what I call my avatars. They're the people I have in mind when I'm creating, uh, when I write a new story, I'm like, is this going to, is this going to work for these people? Or is this going to work for my friends? And then if the answer is yes, then I'm like, okay, that's, that's the direction I'm going to go in. So instead of like thinking about a huge, broad audience, I have very specific people in mind when I'm creating. I love it. That's, mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's what all the smart marketers will tell you to do is to create, mm-hmm. to write, to whatever, produce a product or whatever for a very specific person or group, well, ideally a very specific person when you're writing like a blog post or something. And I love that you do that. That's so mm-hmm. cool. So what, what age is your favorite to write a book for? It's funny because Right now, a lot of my friends have three-year-old kids, but they're all so different. They all, some of them are like expert climbers. Some of them are, and don't want to even sit in front of a book. And others are obsessed with books and wordplay. So it's really fun to kind of see what this version of a three-year-old is compared to that one. And it's been cool because a lot of times you think, oh, toddler, three-year-old, they're not capable of a lot of learning or a lot of focus. But I'm always surprised when I'm around them in person how capable they are and what intelligent learners they are. So it allows me to know how young I can skew my work. So ideally, my range for some stories is three to five, and then some skew a little older, five to eight. I really want my my podcast to work well for siblings to sit through together. So cool. So before we get on to the podcast, how many books have you produced so far? I've published three books this year. So the first one was What Do You See? The second one was An Extraordinary Book. And that book is about taking a book, uh, turning the page, and it's a red hat. And you can put the hat on your head. Or then the next page is a piano, and you lay the book down in front of you, and you can play the piano. When I made that book, I was thinking about the kid today has never experienced the world without an iPhone or an iPad. They're used to screens that they can interact with. So how can I kind of captivate the imagination of a kid that's used to interacting with things in a very different way? So that was the inspiration behind an extraordinary book. And then the third book I have, uh, it might be one of my favorites. I don't want to pick favorites, but it kind of is, is Digger's Daily Routine. And this is a character-based book about a dog named Digger. Digger does the exact same thing every single day. Definitely stuck in a bit of a rut. He builds a rock wall. He digs rocks and builds a rock wall every day. Then he goes home. He's all alone. And then one day when he's out working, 
he smells something and it leads him to a cave. And inside the cave, there's all kinds of different colored gemstones. And then from there, a whole adventure ensues. But needless to say, his routine is never the same after that. So that book came to me when I was in yoga class one day and I was in up dog, down dog. And I was like, oh, what if there was a dog actually doing this? What would that dog's day look like? So even though there's no yoga in the book, that's actually what inspired the character. And it was another one of those things where that character came to me just all in one chunk. It was almost like fully realized just right then and there. Oh, how cool. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And what media do you use to create your books, your illustrations? I I have um, Corel Painter and I use Photoshop and the actual equipment I use is the the Wacom tablet. So it's a pressure sensitive tablet. It allows you to move and paint like you actually would painting. Uh, The software was created by actual painters. So it's really intuitive. Even though I'm on a computer, I get to really play in a way that's not cold. It's very warm and expressive. So cool. I love it. And now you are at at the, the day that we are talking, you are about to officially launch your podcast. So tell me about your podcast. Yeah. So the podcast, uh, when I started writing children's books, I decided to self-publish and with self-publishing comes self-promoting. And I thought, what's a way that I can tell stories, get get my name out there and build an audience that's authentic? And podcasting was a thing that came to me. And I'm sure you've experienced that too, when people actually hear your voice and hear the message that way coming from you in a very like vulnerable state where you're really putting yourself out there, you can build an audience that's much more loyal. So that's my goal with the podcast. Super cool. That That's definitely been my experience. The, the thing that's really cool about podcasting is it's really intimate. You are mm-hmm. literally in people's ears. <laughs> in fact, it's much more intimate than video. Mm-hmm. Video, you have a connection with people that I means a different medium. You have a com- connection with people that is um, personal in a way that you know you don't get with audio only, but audio is actually more intimate than video is because you're literally in somebody's ear, mm-hmm. and you can you can get up close and you can whisper <laughs> to them, and <laughs> and they can put you know they can literally put their earbuds right inside their ear, and you can go on a walk with them, and you can be mm-hmm. with them when they're cooking dinner, and. It's really quite an amazing medium and you can ha- literally just have a conversation with them. And I have found it to be, I don't know, I just, I love podcasting. It's kind of my favorite. <laughs> I know I started out as a fangirl. I was just, I was obsessed with listening to podcasts on every topic, every niche. I could find something based on what I was interested in. There's definitely something for everybody out there with podcasting. And because we were talking about such or because the people are talking about such niche topics on their podcast, I felt like, oh, these are kindred spirits. They almost felt like friends to me. And that's why I definitely wanted to be a podcaster myself, because I connected so strongly with other podcasters. Yeah, yeah, you do. There I there's 
definitely the podcast that I subscribe to and that I listen to regularly. And I feel like I know those people. I'm like, they don't know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. So tell me about who you're trying to reach, who your audience is for your podcast. First of all, tell tell us what who the what the title of your podcast is. Sure. So the title of my podcast is Story Spectacular. It's a twice weekly children's story podcast. So it features original stories and then some classic retellings. Uh, but there's also music, songs, uh, jokes, fun facts. We even have a segment called Animail where we read listener mail from our animal friends. So it's kind of like a story variety show. And my mission with it, uh, after talking to a lot of my friends who are parents, the, I kept asking them, like, what do you want? What's what's missing right now? What what would you add to your kind of schedule? And the thing I kept hearing was I'd want to take away something from the schedule because my kids, all their time is allocated for an activity or this or that. And they don't really get a lot of that time for free play. So my mission was the pot with the podcast was to kind of have something on in the background. Kids could maybe listen or not, but just something going where they they feel like it's a break. It's something fun, silly, and playful. And that's my mission with it. What a cool mission. <laughs> I love it. And that's, that's the thing that I love about podcasts is that I can have it going. I can have a podcast on and be painting or mm -hmm. making dinner or your hands are free with it. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. My husband and I have a podcast that we listen to together every Tuesday while we're making dinner which we couldn't do if we were watching a movie or something, because we would need right. to be focusing on the movie. Whereas when we're listening to the podcast, we can be making little commentary to each other with our hands and making expressions at each other and stuff like that. And we can be, you know, chopping vegetables and doing things that we couldn't be doing if we were watching a movie or a television so show or something like that. So I love that about podcasts. Mm -hmm. Me too. What a brilliant idea to have. And I don't I'm I don't have kids, so I'm completely oblivious to what the podcast world is like for kids. Did you research that? I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't have kids either and I uh I don't have an education background. I just one of those people that I can relate to kids in a in a way because my default state is play. And I just, I love how honest kids are. I, I just can under, I feel like I can understand them and get on that level. So honestly, I was just doing something I wanted to do and seeing what happens. I've definitely done some research. There's not a ton of children's podcasts out there, but it is a growing field. And it was definitely something that, that I thought I could do successfully. I love it. I, I really appreciate how, you you blend this playful exploration of doing something that is really fun and experimental and innovative and exploratory and f feeds you mm -hmm. and is also something that's useful for other people like you not everybody is does blends those two things effectively and I really appreciate that about you. That's very cool. I'm thrilled to be able to do it, too. 
I mean, I, I love doing it so much that I could do this for years and not make a dime on it and still have fun doing it. And, but at the end of the day, my goal is maybe to have this creative endeavor support me. We'll see. But for now it's, I get so much energy because I'm having literally so much fun creating this thing. That's fantastic. And I know that you mentioned when you filled out your form that you didn't know the first thing about podcasting when you decided to get started. That's the same with me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So let's talk about that. Yeah, you're right. I didn't know the first thing at all. Uh, But the thing that's so cool right now is because of the internet, you can go online and watch tutorials for free or at very low cost. And you can really bootstrap your way to learn about almost anything. But at the same time, that's my biggest struggle is the tech stuff and learning all these new skills. Uh, you did a sh- you did an episode a few times back that was talking about the, I think it was uh, the pity party episode. I've had days where things just aren't working out and I feel so alone and frustrated and it's it's always involving the tech part of it. <laughs> <laughs> I totally relate. <laughs> I take a moment, though, now to say, OK, this is an emotion I need to express. And sometimes just out loud, I'll just kind of like, ah, or like even I've definitely had days where I cry and it's productive crying. It's productive frustration. I know what my big picture goal is. I just need to kind of, you know let it out, take a break, and then come back to it with a, you know, with a clear state of mind. I've also learned to tackle those projects earlier in the day when my mind is fresh and I'm not tired. And that's really helped me kind of learn and then feel empowered after I do take these little baby steps to get better at learning the method of podcasting. Um, And then once I learned it, it's so much fun. It's, It's something that once you have it, you got it. And then that part of it, it's over. And it's, it just feels so cool to be able to learn new skills even after college and not in a classroom setting. Totally. The other thing is, don't you find that the, the, the thing that is the biggest struggle, the tech, and it's the same with me, the tech Mm -hmm. website stuff for me is like, (laughs) makes me tear my hair out and gnash my teeth and beat my head against a wall But when I finally figure out the thing that has been making me just want to (laughs) scream, when I finally figure it out, that there is nothing that makes me feel more amazing. Like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, I figured out the thing that was impossible. I feel like Superwoman, you know? Don't you feel that? I strut around my house like I'm a technology genius yes! after I something simple. <laughs> and it is. It's so cool because, I mean, 10 years ago, even you used to have to hire professionals to do a lot of the things that you can totally do now. If you're willing to put in a little time to learn the back end of it, you can not only build your own website or, or start your own podcast, but then you can go through and edit it. It's all entirely in your control, which I absolutely love having control over all the aspects of story spectacular. Yeah, I I love that too. Makes me crazy. Mm -hmm. And I love having control over it. And it reminds me of, you know, it reminds me of creative blocks, you know, the Mm -hmm. creative blocks are not blocks to creativity, 
pushing through the block, that is the creativity. And mm-hmm. I think about every time I have a massive frustration, some technical issue with my website that I cannot get something to work and I'm going completely nuts and I just want to freaking kill myself. And I finally figure it out and I feel like a rock star. I feel like mm-hmm. I'm immortal, you know? <laughs> and nothing makes me feel more powerful than mm-hmm. when I can push through something that's just crazy, 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 impossibly hard. Because if it were easy, then eh, big deal, right? Yeah, yeah. The other thing too, the restrictions can also be a way to foster creativity. I think you talked about this in your Lego episode, because it's just me, there's only so much I'm going to be able to realistically achieve. I can't make a Pixar animated video. I I can only make a video that's within a certain, you know, window of technology. So that's almost kind of fun and empowering because that's, I know that's what I can do. I don't have all these decisions to make. I, I just do it. Exactly. So what can I do with within these crazy, tiny limitations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you have done quite a lot <laughs> within the, the limitations that you have been dealing with. I'm wildly impressed and I'm super delighted that you emailed me and asked to be on the show. It has been incredibly fun to talk about what you have coming up. And I can't wait to see what you do with your podcast and see what else you come out with with your your books and whatever else is going to be brewing up. So the next thing we have to talk about is our something cools. And I know you brought something, something cool to cool. share. Yeah. Yeah. So my something cool, I I love playing games. I'm a wicked board game person. It's something I really bond over with my family too. And my something cool is a game called Love Letters. My youngest brother gave it to me. It's a really simple card game that you play that has characters like a princess, a baron, uh, a handmaid, a guard. But what I like to do is not only play the game as it's designed to play, I like to impose my own characters and write my own backstories for the people, kind of depending on what group of friends I'm around. So with that, it it just makes for endless entertainment for me. I've gotten a lot of laughs and mileage out of that game. So that's definitely my something cool is the card game Love Letters. Oh, I have not heard of this game. Is this something that you can get, you can buy it online? Yeah, it's super cheap. Uh, You know, the first round of it, I actually made the cards myself. So instead of Prince, the character on the card game, that's a traditional Prince. I made mine with the artist formerly known as Prince on my card. (laughs) But then I ended up getting the my brother got me the real version of the game. So I wasn't using the homemade one anymore. Oh, fantastic. Oh, Mm -hmm. can you send me the link to that? Yeah, I will. <laughs> I love it. Love letters. I haven't heard of it. That's great. Yay. And a new resource. That sounds really fun. I love games too. I'll have to look for that. So my something cool is something that I learned about at my create an incubate retreat. I always learn about new resources from my retreatants. This is an infographic of untranslatable words from other cultures, words that we should have in English, but we don't. 
And so the infographic and I'll include a link in the show notes there. And it's this really utterly delightful infographic that is hand drawn and hand lettered by somebody I know I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but it's spelled M A P T I A. So it looks like Maptia. I have no idea how to pronounce it. And it's uh, 11 untranslatable words from other cultures. So like the first one is Walde in Samkeit in German, which is the feeling of being alone in the woods. We need wow. that. We need that word in, in English. Walde in Samkeit. And we then, do. <laughs> and then in Italian, um, Qualacino. Qualacino, which is the mark left on a table by a cold glass. Qual- wow. <laughs> Qualacino. <laughs> then there's I don't know how to pronounce this. It's an Inuit word, iksuarpak, the feeling of anticipation that leads you to keep looking outside to see if anyone is coming. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So there's more. There's 11 of these. Let's see. Um, Here's one in Spanish, sobremesa. Sobremesa, the time spent after lunch or dinner talking to the piece, the people you shared the meal with. Oh, I love that one. Isn't I think that, that one's my favorite. Isn't that That's so cool. Totally wonderful. Uh, and then there's a Hawaiian word, panapo'o, which is the act of scratching your head in order to help you remember something you have forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> And then there's a French word, which I will totally mangle, dépassement, which is the feeling that comes from not being in one's home country. Anyway, there's there's more of them. Check it out. It is utterly delightful. There's 11 untranslatable words from other cultures, and the illustrations are completely adorable, and the lettering is delightful, and yeah. It's wonderful. And we need more of we need more. There's so many words, so many things that are you can't express in English without like 20 words. And we need one word for so that's my something cool this week. I love it. It is really cool. (laughs) So Angela, it has been a total delight talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time and for emailing me. And yeah. Thank you. Melissa, thank you so much. Like, I I can't even, I was a huge fan of your show, and I can't believe I get to speak to you right now because you really helped me get through some some tough days. I felt really supported by your show, and I hope that our conversation can help other people too. Oh, wow. You totally made my day. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. That's it. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Angela Ferrari. Let me know if you resonated. And thank you so much for joining me today. If you are getting value out of this podcast, share it with a friend. And I would be super appreciative if you would take a moment and hop on over to iTunes or the Apple Podcast app and leave a rating and review. And email me to let me know that you left a review and let me know how the podcast has made a difference in your own life if you'd like to be considered for the listener spotlight. Every so often, I bring listeners just like yourself onto the show 
to be featured just like Angela was featured on the show. And that is how you apply. You leave a review over on iTunes. And if I pick you, you have to obviously email me to let me know that you left the review and let me know how the podcast has made a difference for you. And if I pick you, we'll have a really fun, relaxed conversation and you'll get to be featured on the podcast. Pretty cool. That is it. Until next time, thanks again for joining me and go get creating. Subscribe at livecreativenow.com.